0: Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message.
1: Wait a minute. If you have your Bibles,
0: you can go ahead and be turning to 2 Kings,
1: 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll pick up there and begin to study. But, you know, different verses of Scripture mean... Different things to us and some become more precious. In Psalm one twenty two, verse one, it says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Isn't it great to be able to be together again to be able to fellowship one with another? And I'm so glad that you are here today because it's a whole lot more fun preaching to people than to preach to cameras. David Phillips came up to me today and said, Now I don't want you get real nervous because I know this is the biggest crowd you preach to in about two months. And that's the truth, the biggest crowd I have preached to in about two months. But it's a joy to be able to be here with you and to be able to fellowship with you. And we're thankful for the privilege and opportunity of being able to gather and worship again. We're continuing our theme. And our theme for this year is that 2020 is the year of revival. And we're not going to let anything hinder us from our pursuit of revival. We believe that's what God laid on our heart and what the Lord wants us to do. So even in this time when we haven't been able to be together, we've been preaching those revival messages. And today, once again, is a theme of revival, to be revived. And this comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. I had you to turn there. And if you were to write a title to this or a challenge to this, what I want you to think about as we read and study through this passage, it is this reclaiming your axe head. You got that? Write that down if you take notes. Reclaiming your axe head. You'll understand more about that as we get in the passage of what that represents. But I want to read together 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Once again, it's a story about Elisha, the prophet of God, and his ministry and how God uses him. Verse 1 of chapter 6 of 2 Kings. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now, the place before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each of us take from there a beam or a tree, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float, or I think King James says swim, made that iron swim. And Elisha said, take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and he took it. This is a story about revival, a story about how to reclaim that axe head, and all of us have our own axe heads. All of us can find ourselves in the same situation as this man finds himself, so how do we reclaim it? This story begins with a good problem. It's a good problem. There in verse 1, what is the problem? Well, it says that those who are the sons of the prophets, the sons of the prophets were like seminary students. These were men who were called to be prophets. They felt like God wanted them to be a preacher or a proclaimer of God's word. And the way that they would be trained is that they would attach themselves to another prophet. And the prophet at this time, the prophet of the man of God, was Elisha. So Elisha was kind of their leader, their teacher. And they would come together and they would be a seminary or be a college or a place for them to be trained under the man of God. Well, great things must have been happening because there's so many of these men who feel this call to be a prophet that the seminary doesn't have enough housing. In other words, the place, the building where ordinarily they would stay, it says that it is too limited. It's too small. Now, that's a great problem to have, isn't it? that there's so many men wanting to be preachers of the gospel, so many men who feel the call to be a prophet, to speak forth as a man of God, that they're here training and, and being taught by Elisha, but there's so many of them, the place where they live is too small. Wonderful problem. But what you learn next is that in their good problem they have, They go by a good guideline of how to have that problem solved. How do you solve any problem in life? How do you solve even a good problem in life? They teach us how to do that. Listen what the first thing they do there. It says in verse 1, Behold, now the place before us where we are living is too limited. So here's the first thing they do. They go to the man of God and they ask him, They ask the man of God if they can go and build a bigger place. Now, remember in the Old Testament, whenever they respond to the man of God is how they respond to God, right? So whenever they're facing this issue or this problem in life, the first thing they do, not the last thing they do, is that they're going to ask God, can they do something? They're going to ask God, will you allow us or will you give us permission that we will do this as they ask the man of God? That's a great first step. Ask God what you need to do when you face a problem. Well, you find out something else in verse 2 about him. Please let us go up to the Jordan, they ask. And each of us take from there a beam and let us make a place there for ourselves. It says not only... That they are asking the right person, God, that they can go and to build a new place, to fall some trees. But it also says that we're going to do it together. There's obviously a spirit of unity. All these men are going to go. They're going to fell these trees, make beams. They're going to all bring back. They're going to all work together. There's a spirit of unity and cooperation where they're going to be all a part of what God's wanting to do to extend or expand their place of living so that the seminary and the training can continue. Well, that's wonderful. So what happens? Well, whenever they come with this spirit of togetherness and they come and they ask the man of God what God would have them do, then the man of God says to them, go. He gives them the command. He gives them the direction. Yes, you can go. But that's not all that they did. They didn't simply just say... Uh, can we go, and and can we go as we work in the spirit of unity? Once he says that they can go, look what happens then in verse 3. Then one said, please be willing to go with your servant. So he answered, I shall go. The final thing that they, they do in the right manner is they don't just say, can we do this? They said, will you go with us? They don't only want that they have God's permission They wanted God's presence. They didn't just want the man of God to say it's okay for you to do this. They wanted the man of God to go along with them. Now, I'm here to tell you, those are wonderful things to do. Anytime you face a problem or I face a problem, even if it's that good problem, it's wonderful to first go to God and ask his permission of what you can do. Do it in a spirit of unity and cooperation that you work together and desire not only that he would allow you to do it or permission to do it, but his presence would be in your midst as you're doing it and that's exactly what takes place he goes with them and they go down to the river jordan in order to cut down trees in order to make beams so that they might build this building now let's stop there for just a second and let's have a little points to ponder about something and here's the points to ponder don't you feel like that if if, first of all, people were committed to God so much that they've committed themselves to study under the prophet of God and to be committed to the work of God, if, if that is who it is that's taking that first step, don't you think that's a good thing? That's a good thing, amen? That's a great thing, all right? Now, if they now want to join in in fulfilling the purpose of God To expand the seminary so that the kingdom of God can advance, that's a good thing, right? So that's a good thing. So now we've found two good things. They're committed to God, and they're wanting to participate in the purposes of God. Then we already talked about something else. They immediately go and ask for God's permission, for God's direction, and God says, you can go. They do it in a spirit of unity and togetherness. They're not divided. They all want to be a part of this. They're all going to put their hands to the plow. They're going to do that work. That's a good thing. And then to top it off, they say, God, not only do we want you to give us permission, we want your presence to be there. We want you to walk with us. We want you to be there when we're doing this. Those are all good things. Now, hold on a second. If all those things are good things and wonderful things and things we ought to do, don't you think, from that point on, everything is going to be wonderful? It's going to be smooth sailing for everybody who's a part of that group. Don't y'all think so? Come on now. We're not very many, so we can we can talk back. All right, you can talk. Don't you think? It ought to be smooth sailing. It ought to be easy. There ought to be no problems in life. For everybody who would do those things, they're committed to God. They're doing the purposes of God. They ask God's permission. They're doing it together, and the presence of God is there. It's going to be easy. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. See, that's true in your life, okay? That's true in your life that you can be in the will of God, wanting to serve God in a spirit of unity, and that you're asking God's presence. All those things can be true in your life, and it still doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be smooth sailing. Well, you find that out in this story, because what happens then in verse 5? Look at it. It says, but, circle that little three-letter word, but. Boy, that, that little three-letter word is important in God's Word. It tells us so much. That tells us, but wait a minute. Even though everything's wonderful, everything's great, it ought to be smooth sailing, but something's going to happen. You ever have a verse 5 in your life? <laughs> but something's going to take place. What happens? It says, but as one of them was failing a tree or a beam, listen now. The axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Trouble. What is the trouble? Well, this man is out here, and like all of them, they are cutting down trees along the river bank of the Jordan. Now, that's important to understand. Whenever they said, would you allow us and would you go with us to cut beams or trees from the Jordan, the reason they could do that is because the Jordan, there would always be trees that would grow up along the riverbank of the Jordan, and they weren't owned by anybody. So these seminary students could go down there and they could cut the trees off of the Jordan, and nobody will care because most people want the trees cut off the Jordan, off the riverbank anyway, to make it more accessible. So it's really doing something good for the community as well as doing something advantageous for them. But here's the issue. They had to cut the trees off of the riverbank. That doesn't make it easy, all right? When you're felling these trees, it doesn't make it easy. So they're all out here with their axes, and they're cutting down the trees and dragging them out, forming beams that they can build this house. Then this one man, while he is chopping with the axe on this tree, the axe head comes off of the haft. The haft, you know what a haft is? A haft is the handle of a knife or an axe, H-A-F-T. The, the head comes off of the haft. Now, that wasn't an uncommon thing in that day or even in our day sometimes. I remember using an ax when I was younger, and boy, the head had come off the ax. It was true in biblical times. Matter of fact, write in your notes, Deuteronomy 19.5. What does it say in Deuteronomy 19.5? Well, it's a it's a law given to Israel that specifically says if a man is chopping with an ax and the ax head falls off, flies off, and kills somebody he's not guilty of murder that's an accident isn't it interesting that would be in the law but what that tells you is it's not an uncommon thing for the axe head to fall off the handle that does happen so while he's here and he's chopping when he goes back one time obviously the axe head or the iron comes off of the handle and and ordinarily, it wouldn't be a big thing. You could go get the axe head, put it back on the head, handle, and put it securely in place. But that's not what happened. When the axe handle, when he swung back and swung back, and he, he, he started to come forward, and the head fell off, it flew where? Into the Jordan River. Into the Jordan River. And when it went into the Jordan River, an axe head does not float. All right? And when it went out into that Jordan River and that axe head hit the river, it went down. It disappeared and as far as this man is concerned, it is lost forever. I know that experience. You ever had that experience? (laughs) Any of you ever been out on the river and lose a tool, socket, pair of pliers, there they go and there they went. Some of my tools are in the bottom of some river, unless some fish is using them right now. They're they're still there today. Because once they're gone, as far as we know, apart from a miracle, they are gone. And this man, when he was swinging that axe, the axe head fell off, went into the river, and it disappears. So what happens? He does what any of us should do. He calls out to the man of God. And he says, he says to the man of God, alas, my master, alas, man of God, and he's distressed because he has lost, listen, he's lost the axe head, but he's also distressed, why? Because it wasn't his axe. It was borrowed. It's one thing if he'd have lost his own axe, but now he's lost somebody else's axe. And what's he going to tell the owner when he comes back with the handle and no head? He is at a point of distress, and he's calling out to the man of God, to God, to do something about his situation. Now, I can I can relate to this fellow. Out of all the group, I can relate to him, out of all those people, because I... There's something about me that has always been this way, that if I borrow something, it's gonna break. It is. I have accused people of letting me borrow some of their stuff they knew was gonna break, so I'd have to repair it or buy them something new. I mean, it's just. A, I would rather buy it myself, rent it. I don't borrow anything because if I borrow it, it's gonna break. Yeah, I know you think, oh, that's not really true. I promise you. I'll, I'll give you an example. Let me just give you an example, okay? I like to farm, and if you, any of you who've ever farmed, you know what a disc is. A disc is a big, heavy piece of equipment that's got tines that turn, little blades that turn, wheels that turn. It turns up, cuts up ground, turns it over. And I had, on my farm in Mississippi, I had some land I needed to do well. I'm not a full-time farmer, so I don't need to buy a disc just to use it one time. So I went and asked one of my members, fellow farmers, if I could borrow his disc. Now, if you've ever seen a disc, you can't blow up a disc. I mean, a disc is, it's the most heavy, cumbersome, rugged piece of equipment that you could buy. So I thought I was safe in borrowing this disc. Well, I hook it up to my tractor, go out there, and I start cutting up this new ground, and I turn around, and the tines are running off like wheels. They're just running off in the the pasture. And these are all metal plates. And I go down there and start looking, and every one of those tines has a big old rust area right around it, and they're just falling. spent half a day rebuilding this man's disc. And at that point in time, when I said, if I can't even borrow a disc without tearing it up, I don't need to borrow anything because it's not fun to bring it back to the owner and say, or not bring it back at all. You understand where this guy was? Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. (laughs) What am I going to do? For he is in distress because he has lost the axe head. He has lost the axe head. Well, thank God that he knew who who to ask. Because if you're ever going to reclaim a lost uh, axe head, you're going to have to remember who to ask. And that you need to ask. That, That makes sense, doesn't it? But but it seems obvious, but that's not the way most people do it. Do you, do you know what people will do? I'm not not you, but it's the one sitting back from you. Okay. It's the one sitting over your shoulder. Do you know what people will do? They will get in situations like that where they have lost their axe head. But they're either embarrassed about it, or they don't want anybody to know their business, or they don't want to be honest about it, or, or whatever it is, and they will not call for help but they will just keep pretending that they're cutting trees. See, if nobody pays attention and you still got the handle, all you have to do is keep swinging the handle. But the problem with that is when you swing the handle with no head on the axe, all it does is make noise against the tree. It's never going to fail one tree. And so some people, they just keep swinging the handle even though they lost the axe head. And all that happens in that is you make a lot of noise and get nothing done. Did you know that man could have done that? He could have just kept swinging the axe handle, pounding it on the tree, never cutting one tree. But everybody looks like, to everybody it looks like he's getting something done. He's getting nothing done. Because an axe handle without an axe head makes noise but fells no trees and can really waste a lot of time. It reminds me of the story the man told about going to his neighbor. He hadn't seen his neighbor in a while up the street, and he he decided to go up there. So he he went up there, and and when he drove in, he saw his neighbor's hogs over in their pasture, and all those hogs were just running. They ran as fast as they could to one spot, and they stopped. And then they turned around, and they ran the other side of the pasture fast, all together, fast as they could, and they stopped. And then to another spot, fast as they could, and they stopped. He thought, that's the craziest bunch of hogs I've ever seen in my life. So he went up to his neighbor, and he, he, said, I, he said, before I, I, I visit, i got to ask you something about your hogs. <laughs> he said, "This your hogs are running over all over the pasture all together what in the world why are they doing that he's he said well the reason that is he says a few weeks ago I lost my voice and he said I never I never could I couldn't call the hogs because I have a voice so what I started doing I just took a stick and beat on the side of the trough and when I beat on the side of the trough I knew I was going to feed them so they'd come up, and I'd feed them. And he said, I did that for a couple of weeks. I'd just be on the side of the trough, and I'd come up and feed him." he said, now those woodpeckers are driving my hog crazy. Because why? All they're doing is making a lot of noise, getting nothing done, right? So we have to, we have to think about that. That man did the right thing. He called out, and he said, uh, He said, Alas, my master, it's borrowed. I I need your help. And notice what the miracle that happens here in verse 6. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? Isn't it interesting that the man of God didn't just raise up the iron, raise up the axe head, but he had to tell him, Where did it fall? It was important that he knew exactly where it was in order to raise up that axe head. Hold on a second. Whenever you and I lose our axe head, and we'll talk about that, what it means to us. Whenever we lose our axe head, there's, there's going to be one thing that God's going to ask of us before he ever retrieves it. He's going, to, he's going to ask you and me, where'd you lose it? Where'd you lose it? If you lost your axe head, you lost it somewhere. So where'd you lose it? When he told him, he, he takes him to the spot, then he shows him, this, this is the place where I lost it. Notice what happens in this miracle. The man of God says he, ta- it ta- he takes a stick and he throws the stick in the water in that river at the very place where the man had lost the axe head and a miracle took place. What was the miracle? The iron, that axe head, floated. That's a miracle. That overcomes nature. <laughs> in King James it says it swims. It's almost like it's moving to make itself float to the top. But whatever it was, it was a miracle of God. But you know what? It wasn't just a a miracle of God. It was also a foreshadowing of something that's very important. A foreshadowing or a typology of of something very important. You know know what that is? Right here, he takes a stick. He takes a, a stick off of those trees and places it in the water and the axe head floats. But it's a type of what's going to happen later, far more significant. And it's going to be a picture of a tree. There's going to be a tree that's going to be cast into the waters of human existence. You know what tree I'm talking about? It's called the cross. That that tree is going to be cast in the river of human existence. And because that tree and the one who hung on it, came into human existence, God's going to give us an opportunity to retrieve and reclaim our axe heads when we lose them. Oh, what a beautiful picture that is. Same way when Moses put the tree into the bitter water and made it sweet. It's a foreshadowing of something yet to come. Some event's going to happen that's going to give everybody an opportunity to reclaim their axe head when they lose it. And so he places that stick in the water. What happens? He says to him in verse 7, take it up for yourself. And he put out his hand, took it up. Very important. Notice, whenever he puts that stick in that water, the axe head will float. But the man of God does not retrieve the axe head. He makes it available for the man to reach down and get. It. he tells him, you take it up. See, it's the responsibility of each of us to take up the axe head we lost. It's God's grace where he miraculously makes it available that we can have it. Makes it available that we can retrieve it. But we have to be the one who reaches down and gets it. And don't you know that guy's heart was filled with joy? Don't you know that where he was in a point of despair and desperation, his heart is filled with joy because God has miraculously done a work and he has reclaimed his axe head. Well, you might be saying, Brother Matt, that's great and wonderful, but I'm not swinging an axe right now. <laughs> I don't even have an axe, never have lost an axe head. So what does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you everything. For see, this picture of the axe head and the story of the axe head is just a picture of us as well. It's a picture of us as well that that in the kingdom of God and and the work of God and in our lives, all of us have axe heads and all of us have axes that we're to swing and and that we're to possess. And that in our lives, sometimes we're going to to need God to do something that we can reclaim that axe head. So I want to give to you about five or six axe heads that you have to reclaim in your spiritual journey, okay? One of those, I pray, that you have already reclaimed. (laughs) That is, you know what the axe head you lost? You lost the axe head of eternal life and a relationship with holy God. Do you know how you lost that? It happened back there in the garden. In the garden, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, we lost the glory of God. We lost the purity of God. We lost the aspect of being able to holy before God. And we were all born in sin. And because we were born in sin, that sin caused us to lose something very important, one of our acts had, which is eternal life. Amen? And so if you are redeemed today, Jesus has already, through his cross and his death on that cross, he has already helped you to be redeemed and to redeem that which you lost, that one axe head. So if you're saved today, you've already had an axe head reclaimed. You've already had one that has been regained to you that you had lost because of the sin of man. And do you know how you got it? He points out and says, Where did you lose it? I lost it at the garden. (laughs) Then he intervenes in my life with the cross and makes it available to me to reclaim it. And then he tells me I'm responsible for reaching out and getting it. And whenever he made the cross available to you and me, and he made forgiveness available to you and me, that we became children of God, and you, by faith, reached out and claimed it, you had the first experience of what this guy had and having an opportunity to regaining that which he lost his axe head amen but that's not the only axe head we have there are other axe heads. for instance what about the axe head of fellowship fellowship with God isn't it true that in our journey with God that we can be in relationship with God but be out of fellowship is that not true Have you ever found yourself out of fellowship with God? You're not as close to God as you used to be. You let things happen. Well, how did we get out of fellowship? Do you know how you get out of fellowship? Just sin. That's all you have to do. Just sin. Just sin and don't confess your sin and don't get your sin right before God. Don't put it under the blood of Christ and ask for that forgiveness. Just do that. And you will find yourself out of fellowship that you're not as close to God as you once were, that you don't sense his heart like you did. You'll find you're out of fellowship and all, every one of us, not almost every one of us who have been a child of God for more than a week, we can find ourselves out of fellowship. And many of us have done it quite often. Amen. So what do we need? We need for him to help us. We, we don't only need for Jesus to redeem us at the cross for our salvation we need him to restore us in our fellowship that's why it says that if we're faithful and just he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we what confess our sins and how do you reclaim reclaim that axe head of fellowship with god god says where did you lose it you lost it somewhere God then makes it available to you through the cross that you can confess your sin and be made right. But you have to accept it. You have to believe it. You have to confess it. And he will restore fellowship. But that's not all. It's not just our eternal life. What about effectiveness in ministry? Have you ever had an effective ministry feel like God's really using you? I'm not talking about just ministers. I'm talking about all of us. An effectiveness in ministry that God's using you somehow, some way, and you sense the presence of God only to find out you wake up one day and you don't feel like you're very effective? That nothing's getting done and it seems as though you can't, it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbals or whatever it might be, you're you're not getting anything done. And you realize that you're doing work, doing ministry, it's just not effective and you need God to reclaim an effective ministry in your life. You ever been there? I guarantee ministers have been there. We've been there. I guarantee you many ministers, we have been whacking with a handle and missing the head. Only for God to tap us on the head and say, Son, when are you going to get tired of making noise and get something done? When are you going to get tired of just whacking on a tree that's never going to fall? Why don't you let me restore the effectiveness of ministry? Well, that's not all. What about your power in witnessing? You used to have a power in witnessing where people got saved in lives and you felt it easy to talk to people about Christ and now all of a sudden it's not as easy as it was and things aren't happening. People aren't getting saved whenever you're sharing. What about What about that in regard to that? Well, you might just need to be recharged, amen? And how do you get recharged? Regain that axe head. You need God to give you that axe head back so that you're Effective in witnessing, they they go on. And on. what about your love for God and love for others? You ever find yourself not loving God, loving others like you once did, like you ought to? That that where you where at one time that's just a natural inclination of your heart and your life, but but it's not there where it ought to be. Well, you need to reclaim that axe head. You need God to reignite your heart with the love and passion of God. Isn't that true? See, those are axe heads we lost. We lost them somewhere, and God makes available. You got to pick it up. You got to pick it up. You got you to reclaim it. What about your purpose? What is your purpose in life? You ever have God had to help you to get that clarified and regain that in your heart and your mind? Certainly not just making groceries, amen. Certainly not just living life, taking in air. I mean, we've got purpose in life. And God has to help us to understand what that purpose is because sometimes we can lose it. We can lose it. And we need to cry out and say, God, I've lost it. I've lost it. Where'd you lose it? Well, he'll help you find out where you lost it, and then he'll help you make it available. But you got to go get it. Now, here's one little principle that you need to write down that will help you in, in a lot of things in life. This is the principle on how to reclaim, how to get your axe head back. Where you got off is where you get on. (laughs) All right? Where you got off is the place you got to get on. You know, it's funny to me. We don't do that. If we get get off of doing the will of God and the way of God, sometimes we want to get on somewhere else. And God is like God says, you're not getting on somewhere else. You got to go back to where you got off. And wherever it is you got off, that's where you get back on. You got to get on where you got off. You can't get on except where you got off. And God's going to bring you back there time and time again, time and time again to say, are you going to get on? Are you going to get on? Are you going to get on? It reminds me whenever I was looking at seminaries and I went out to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Me and two other guys went out there, and we looked around, and on that Sunday, we decided we were flying out that Sunday coming back to uh, Mobile, Alabama, but we decided we we're going to go to church at First Baptist Dallas. That's when W.A. Chris was pastor there. We were going to go hear W.A. will preach. We we're going to be in that service, and so we went to Dallas, and then we had a chance to do a little, uh, you know, sightseeing for just a minute, and then we had to get to the airport. Well, we went to First Baptist Dallas, and then we went down just from First Baptist Dallas to that that garden area and and to that book depository where Kennedy, President Kennedy, was shot. And so we looked at that, observed that, and everything. And then it was about time we we needed to go on towards the airport. So the guy who was driving uh, in the rental car, we went we went by the book depository and went out a little ways, took two, few turns here and there, and. Came back, didn't know where we were, but then I looked up and said, well, there's that book depository. (laughs) And we went to the left a little ways, drove out there, all these one-way streets, you're going one way here, one way there, come back, and we didn't know where we were, but looked up and said, well, there's that book depository. Finally, one guy got aggravated. He said, I'm not coming by this book depository again. So he took off, goes down this causeway, goes out about 10 miles, man, trying to find his way to the airport. 10 miles, turns back, meanders back through all these things, and I declare we didn't come right beside that book depository. It is like we were caught in a time warp that we could never get away from where President Kennedy was killed. But you know the reality of it? The reason we couldn't get away from that. It's because we did not get on where we had gotten off. And many times spiritually, that's exactly where we are. If we try to get on where we didn't get off, you're going to keep coming around and around and around, back to the same spot, to the same spot, to the same reminder, because you got to get on wherever you got off. That's when God says, where'd you lose it? Where'd you lose it? And when you're willing to say this is where it was lost, he places the cross of Christ to do miracles. The the greatest miracle was not the axe head floating. The greatest miracle is what is done at the cross of Christ for you and me. And God will do that miracle and give us the opportunity Of picking up that lost axe head, you know what revival is? Reclaiming a lost axe head, putting it back on the half, putting it back on the handle, (laughs) and beginning to do what I'm supposed to do rather than just making noise. Amen. I don't know what God wants to do in your heart and life. I know if you're here today, and you've never given your heart to Jesus, that the number one thing is you need to you need to reclaim. That lost axe head of eternal life that was lost at the garden. It's available to you. Jesus paid the price for you. Give your heart to Jesus today. That's what he would want you to do. What about you, child of God? Any of those areas of your life where you've lost that axe head? Any of those things we talked about? And there's other things, too, in the, in our walk as a Christian. Any of those places where you, you've lost that axe head? You might be going through the motions, but it's not really being effective. If that's true, would you allow God to help you to reclaim it, to get it back, and to have the joy of knowing it is to see that miracle take place in your life? We're not going to have a formal invitation today, but the Holy Spirit invites you to make that commitment, to make that decision, to turn your heart and your life afresh to him and allow him to do a miracle of reclaiming the axe head. That's what revival is all about. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the clarity of your word. And I thank you for how the word of God just points to us that we can be just like this man who's lost his axe head that was borrowed and who needs you to do a miracle. Father, it could be that we've doing the right thing with the right heart. <laughs> could be that we're, we've asked you to direct our path and and we want you in our pre- your presence with us, but we can still, Father, in the midst of those things, have difficult times like this man did. But help us to learn from him that he asked the right person, was honest about his situation, he revealed where he lost it, and he was able to pick it back up when it made available. I pray that we'll do that. Each one of us will do that. These are unusual days, Lord, but it's a time for us to examine our hearts, our lives, our purpose, our ministries, and submit them afresh and new to you. I thank you. Thank you for the privilege of worship today, privilege of being together with a family of God, fellowshiping one with another, such an encouragement to see these people we love so much and who are part of our family. So I pray that the word of God and the singing and rejoicing and fellowship would strengthen us. That in these days we'll be a bold witness and a strong faith that Jesus is still on the throne. He's still in charge of all things. We can rest in him and let him be our guide. Thank you for these moments we've had together. And I pray, Lord, for that person who doesn't know Jesus to give their heart to Jesus today. I pray for that believer who's struggling who's lost their axe head somewhere, that they'll reclaim it and have the joy of restoration in their life. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work on us in a mighty way and to bring about important decisions in our lives as a result of our time together. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon-series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world.